the 28th annual conference of parties cop 28 that started two weeks ago in dubai concluded on 13th december with some important and may i say pleasantly surprising decisions to start with the deeply divided and economically distressed world had rather low expectations from the global climate conference to add anything significantly new since this year's COP28 was a stock take, which means a conference for an overall assessment of the efforts made through the COP platform towards commitment to Paris goals, it had not kindled the same engagement and enthusiasm that COP27 at Egypt had done last year. So last year's COP concluded with the last-minute historic agreement to compensate poor countries with a loss and damage fund. However, the task of setting a realistic target for respective contributions from advanced economies was left to later negotiations. In a major breakthrough, that fund has been established this year with new pledges of about $792 million. But that's not all. You know, COP stock takes happen every few years and mostly the conclusion drawn is bleak for the future of climate goals. This time, however, it promises to be different with a new climate deal and brand new semantics of transitioning away from fossil fuels. After two weeks of controversy and bitter negotiations, not only did the 200 parties agree to this new climate deal, but also took at least eight important decisions. Of these eight, three are directed to establishing or strengthening dialogues. Three are procedural. One establishes date for the next global stock take starting 2026. And one creates a new tech implementation program. Technical as they may sound right now, they are all focused on the core objective of how to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius and reach net zero CO2 emissions by 2050. And here is where the discourse starts to get a little muddled. You know, for the record, despite all the efforts, CO2 emissions are dangerously rising. Therefore, this year's final agreement made relatively stronger pitches for the parties to focus on key deliverables on tripling renewable energy capacity globally by 2030. However, India has lobbied painstakingly on the behalf of itself and other developing economies to not get stuck with the baseline of 2030. As a result, countries can have the freedom to choose whatever baseline suits their economic vantage points as long as some progress is made. While it may appear as digressing from tangible climate goals, but is definitely a lot more realistic in assessing the requirements of the non-industrialized world. In yet another victory for India and developing economies, notable objections to using phase down versus phase out, the agreement lands on safe zone with using phase down of unabated coal power. However, the most cardinal part of the entire text is the section on transitioning away from fossil fuels in energy systems in a just, orderly and equitable manner so as to achieve net zero by 2050. Now, what is so special about the part I just mentioned? It is the first time in almost three decades that fossil fuels have been cited in the final agreement of climate talks. In that sense, it is a semantic way forward to resolving perennial deadlocks. But the problem is, critics have opined on the inherent weakness of transitioning away from fossil fuels in contrast to the more robust phasing out, which remains an elusive goal in realistic terms. 
what this year's climate deal has got right is introducing fossil fuels in the debate while adhering to a safer expression of transitioning away from them instead of getting mired in the politically divisive and sensitive expressions. It also helps keep the developing economies on board with the industrialized world as the former are not prepared for phasing out traditional fuels without adequate support from the developed world for transitioning to renewables and maturing of their own industries. The other reason is purely commercial and singularly pressing. The vital stakes of the giant fossil fuel companies and the petrostates keeps the global dependence on fossil fuels going. Fossil fuels not only remain the backbone of heavy industry for most economies, they are actually phased up in the real world as the world remains entangled in uncertainty and geopolitical conundrum. According to a recently released UN report, the billions of dollars worth of new investment in expanding fossil fuel industries indicate anything but a willingness to phase down the usage. The report states the contradiction in how governments, you know, taken together, plan to produce more than double the amount of coal in 2030 and double the amount of oil and gas in 2050. However, this finding itself is inconsistent with scientific studies that argue that any new development of gas and oil fields is incompatible with the 1.5 degrees Celsius target. Therefore, behind the reassuring phrases of our collective future being green and so on and so forth, lurch the domain of unresolved economic interests. The transitioning away from fossil fuels language does send an essential and unprecedented signal to the industries, but that's where its utility ends. Where it's conspicuously silent is that it does not provide any decision on peaking global emissions, which is the critical task in ascertaining sustained reductions after that. So fresh semantics notwithstanding, the new climate deal does not provide solutions to the most fundamental inconsistencies of the climate debate, but is successful in calling for stronger and accelerated action. Now, how to reconcile the short-term economic interests with the long-term human commitment to climate goals remains a mirage. The closer one seems to come, the farther away it gets. Amid all the haze and conflicting interests, there is an understated winner this time, and that is the rallying support for accelerating nuclear energy. Nuclear energy is now unambiguously mentioned as a low-carbon energy source. What makes this inclusion even more noteworthy is that the support for it came from merely a handful of countries in the early days of COP28, but it still made it to the final proposal as a preferred zero and low emission technology. And it would be interesting to see how Europe's biggest economy, which is Germany, responds to this decision that has been unconvincingly anti-nuclear, even when pressed for exploring it after Russia's war in Ukraine has choked natural gas supplies from Moscow. Germany has maintained a tough anti-nuclear posture that quite strangely defies any rational explanation, while simultaneously struggling with transition to renewables amid a slowing economy and bleak prospects for recovery. Now a word on India's evolving climate diplomacy. In the midst of all this, India's climate diplomacy has been evolving realistically. 
despite being the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases, even though low per capita emissions, India is a crucial player in the global fight against climate change and a binding force between much divided camps. From a rather passive stance, and I'm referring to the days when New Delhi hosted a COP in 2008 and it didn't make much waves, to India's climate diplomacy now that has transitioned from the background into the foreground. And India has championed the needs of the developing world by blocking the phase out of coal at COP 2021 at Glasgow. It has offered proactive initiatives like uh, Lifestyle for Environment or Pro Planet People and has launched the International Solar Alliance, ISA, now a full-fledged UN-affiliated multilateral agency, while also delivering on its nationally determined contributions and raising the targets of previous promises. The key takeaway from the staggering pace of global climate discourse is to keep it realistic while at the same time enhancing incentives for industry and the businesses to transition to renewables. And that brings me to the last point I wish to make today. You know, the world is moving to preventing carbon leakage in international business cycles. While Europe has already taken the leap with experimental CBAM or, or Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, other G7 countries are soon to follow suit. Many of them have already declared it. These are slow and steady developments to attaining climate goals, which will need rectifications along the way as the developing world adjusts to these emerging realities in global production, supply and value chains. So these changes must be made in accordance with the realities and the pace of the developing world. And that remains the sine qua non of the principle of common but differentiated responsibilities that India stands for. Climate conundrum adds another layer of complexity to the global disorder in search of orderliness. That said, there is an entire scenario that is not discussed in COPs of the world. And that scenario is the terrifying carbon footprint of the military-industrial complex and active war zones, with unending wars raging in Ukraine to the Middle East and the total militarization of the world ramping up dangerously, the climate discourse has much ground to cover in not just the COPs, but also in real terms. I will be back to analyze that and more. Stay tuned.